one thing that's been in the news quite a bit of late is this so-called cash for clunkers. And maybe you've even gotten in on this. But uh, our bicycling correspondent has a thing or two to say about this, so we thought we'd bring him back to talk about it. Paul Dorn, welcome back to Radio Parallax. Yeah, hi, Douglas. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Where do I begin with this? It's absolutely insane. Okay. (laughs) Well, let's let's begin with, I don't know, you know, the goals of the program. I mean, one of them is to, uh, it's a job program, try to stimulate job creation. Um, inevitably, the long-term impact uh, will be negligible. Uh, the American automobile industry is going to shrink. It's going to continue to shrink. And so the, the, the most this does is maybe postpones the inevitable. It rather, I would prefer that, that money be spent on infrastructural kinds of things like bike paths, sidewalks, yeah. retrofitting some of our uh, sprawling suburban neighborhoods. Those would be permanent jobs. And then also, you know, more money for public transit, you know. Well, people are pointing out, critics saying that, you know, a lot of these old cars would have been traded anyway without a bribe from the taxpayer. So, you know, it's welfare exactly. for... Yeah. We're cannibalizing uh, future car buying to... Uh, get people to buy cars now but like you know just i mean there's so many things about this i mean the social justice aspects of this i mean we've got low-income transit-dependent people facing fair hikes and um, service cuts and they're getting nothing meanwhile um, people are being rewarded for their past fuel guzzling with a $4,500 payment you know that's you know if you, if you were wise enough a few years ago to buy a prius or some other kind of fuel efficient vehicle and you want to trade it in you're not getting any benefit from this. So it's just social justice-wise, it's kind of nuts. One of the things that's frustrating to me is just um, it's being presented as some sort of environmental um, benefit. Right. Well, you know, it takes hundreds of gallons of energy, fuel, to create a car. You know, you got to extract that iron ore out of the mountains, and you got to transport it to a mill, and you got to smelt it into iron and steel, and, you know, the rubber, all that sort of energy that it's, is required to create an automobile is then sort of crushed and lost, you know? and and really uh, just so you can maybe have a vehicle that gets four or five miles to the gallon better. It's just, it's crazy. It does sound like a rather inefficient use of federal dollars. Yes. However, you know, when you look at sort of the, the you know, the money being thrown at the financial industry and the Pentagon, I mean, this is a total of about $3 billion spent on this silly program so far, so it's fairly negligible, but... Yeah, a week's worth of war in, in Iraq, basically. Yeah. yeah, but, you know, it's just the whole optics of it are just very concerning to me. You know, if you're, let's suppose you're a uh, peasant over in China, and you're watching your government lend Americans money that they then, you know, dish out to motorists to buy, you know, big, you know, fuel-inefficient Ford Escape hybrid SUVs. I mean, it's just you know, you're going to be pretty angry about that. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just bad. It's just bad public policy on and another all another unforeseen consequence. Apparently, a lot of charities are noting they're not getting their cars donated like they well, were before. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's sort of a trickle down thing. You know, people trade in cars, and people with less income then you know buy those vehicles and use them, and and we don't lose that embedded energy that's required to create a car. So yeah, there's it's just crazy. It's nuts. But I'm not surprised anymore, Douglas. I don't know about you, but <laughs> there's just insanity runs amok there in Washington. Well, and no, no argument from me. And of course, Paul, I know one overriding concern is you'd like to see people get on bicycles just to kind of to treat America's obesity problem, if nothing else. Well, 
exactly. I mean, this is the other big crisis we have in Washington right now is they're debating health care. And uh, one of the big challenges we have is just people are not getting enough exercise and, you know, throwing money at them to try to get them to continue their car habit is not the direction we should need to be going. We need to get people walking, biking, being more active in their travel. All right. No argument from me. Paul, it's always a pleasure to come back and let's talk bicycling again soon. Okay. Thanks, Douglas. All righty. Yep. All right, regarding some other concerning news out of Washington, D.C., the Pentagon announced that it was concerned there were two Russian subs off the eastern coast of the U.S., and this actually is a step in the wrong direction. Uh, the Russians are feeling pushed around. They want to show that they are, you know, really a superpower. So uh, they're out there being provocative, sailing a couple of nuclear attack subs uh, off the coast. They're in international waters, though. I know the submarines' presence uh, did surprise some military analysts. One noted, I don't think they're, uh, they put first-line nuclear subs off the coast in about 15 years. That was a, a expert Norman Polmar. But, you know, having been to Russia last summer, I do find it hard to blame the Russians after being, um, well, kind of double-crossed by us, really. I mean, they've been, uh, they've been good, except for some squabbles in some very small parts of their neighboring Republic of Georgia. The Russians have not been in a, an aggressive, expansionistic mode. And yet here we are putting missiles right next to them, claiming they're for defensive purposes. Truth, of, truth is, I think it's sad to say that uh, both Russia and the U.S. have... Um, let's say, overly influential military industries who are very uh, politically savvy and know how to keep getting uh, arms manufactured from which they profit. And they profit in several ways, by having uh, better jobs, better uh, dachas over in Russia, or you know, vacation homes in, here in America, and just having more power and influence. There have been a lot of efforts uh, lately in the Obama administration to try and reduce our nuclear uh, arsenals. And by the way, I don't want to seem like I'm uh, pro-Russian. The Russian government's been murdering dissidents and behaving very badly in many aspects. But, you know, geopolitics being what they are, you know, there's going to be a, a certain tit-for-tat, and we don't want to see another arms race. Excellent article by Lawrence W. Whitner, courtesy of Truthout, which originally aired in Perspective. Had a couple points to be worth quoting from. Today, there are nine nuclear-armed nations with over 23,000 nuclear weapons in their arsenals. Thousands of these weapons are on hair-trigger alert. Admittedly, some nations are decreasing the size of their nuclear arsenals. The U.S. and Russia, which together possess about 95% of the world's nuclear weapons, plan to sign a treaty this year that will cut their strategic weapon totals significantly. But other nations are engaged in substantial nuclear buildups. India, for example, launched the first of its nuclear submarines this July and is also developing an assortment of land-based nuclear missiles. Not a good thing. Especially considering that their avowed enemy, Pakistan, is considered perhaps the world's most unstable government at present. Though the article a little bit later, while nuclear weapons exist, there is a serious danger of accidental nuclear war. In September of 83, the Soviet Union's launch detection satellites reported that the U.S. government had fired its Minutemen intercontinental ballistic missiles and that nuclear attack was underway. Luckily, the officer in charge of the satellite concluded they had malfunctioned and, on his own authority, prevented a Soviet nuclear alert. 
The incident was so fraught with anxiety that he suffered a nervous breakdown. In a similar vein, pretty good article by Chalmers Johnson, who uh, has been on KDVS on Franz Costing's It's About You show. We congratulate Franz for having on such an excellent guest. His article, which can be found at tomdispatch.com, was titled Three Good Reasons to Liquidate Our Empire and Ten Steps to Take to Do So. Noted Chalmers Johnson, giving our imperial overstretch, perpetual war, and insolvency, we could conceivably face an economic collapse similar to that that happened to the former Soviet Union. Citing stats, Johnson notes that according to a 2008 official Pentagon inventory of our military bases around the world, our empire consists of 865 military facilities in more than 40 countries and overseas U.S. territories. We deploy, we deploy over 190,000 troops in 46 countries and territories. In just Japan, at the end of last March, we still had 99,000 people connected with the U.S. military. According to Anita Donces, an, anal- an analyst for the website Foreign Policy and Focus, the U.S. spends approximately $250 billion a year maintaining its global military presence. Good article. We suggest you read it. And speaking of unnecessary military presence, we should note that Condoleezza Rice, the former Secretary of State, is appearing locally on October 9th as part of the Sacramento Premier Speakers Forum Perspectives, which is sponsored by B of A, Rayleigh's KCRA, and a few others, including KFBK Radio, your local host of right-wing nuts. Of course, when I say things like that, you know that the opinions expressed on this program do not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the regions of the University of California. Once we've clarified that, I don't mind calling the former Secretary of State a bald-faced liar. My motive for doing so is that she is one. So I hope that uh, if I don't get a chance to ask this question, someone will go to the Sacramento Convention Center on August 9th and ask her if she's willing to apologize to the public for lying, and it was indeed lying, over the so-called weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. All right, we're running out of time. Two, uh, two items. In Much Ado About Nothing file, we have the article in the Sacramento Bee about how amid drought, the city of Sacramento is wasting a lot of water. Well, we don't want to encourage wasting water, but this article I thought was really a tempest in a teapot. It also prompted a, a letter to the editor from Pam Milchrist. The following. There's something inherently disturbing about the Bee's call for its readers to take photos of individuals violating the city code on water regulations. Why not, when you're finished with this intrusion, have them report in their neighbor's failure to sort their garbage? Or have them start reporting all cell phone violations, texting violations, parking violations, smoking violations, etc. And while you're at it, check with the Chinese on how they use the public to turn in their neighbors during the Cultural Revolution. Adding, I have no problem with, the water, with water regulations, and I do comply because I recognize the need to conserve. I do have a problem with the bees' call to vigilantism, however. We pay our taxes for law enforcement officials. It's up to trained professionals to enforce the law, not neighbors informing on neighbors. Well said, Pam. And I hope in the weeks to come we're going to bring back a Dan Bacher to talk about uh, this new law that's going to halt gold mining hobbyists ripping up our streams while denying that the practice could be harmful to salmon runs, which, which of course, it is. Anyway, we'll hope, hopefully Dan will have a few things to say about that. Final item of the day comes from our obituary section. And by the way, we don't think doing obituaries is morbid. We think that uh, there are lives out there that should be commented on and celebrated. 
want to close uh, by noting the passing of Gordon Waller, half of the British invasion duo Peter and Gordon. The pop duo had a string of hits that were uh, several of which were written by their good friend Paul McCartney. In fact, Peter and Gordon scored a number one hit in 1964 with their debut single, A World Without Love, which was in fact written by Paul McCartney, making it one of a very select number of tunes, Beatle tunes, to be covered by someone else and still go to number one. As a bit of trivia, we'd ask you if you know a couple of the others. Actually, the tune I most remember them for was Lady Godiva, a big hit in 1966. Critics have noted that McCartney had turned the, the song, A World Without Love, over to others because he felt it really wasn't quite up to Beatles standards. Though Peter and Gordon had uh, nine major hits during the 60s, they broke up in 1968. Gordon Waller's webpage referred to their years together as some of the happiest moments of my life noting I was able to tour with the Beatles in 1966 and see the world with Peter Asher and, most of all, play the music that I love. should add that uh, Gordon Waller's surviving bandmate, Peter Asher, uh, went on to a long career as a music producer, worked for the Beatles' Apple Records, and produced James Taylor's debut album. In the 70s, he produced other Taylor albums as well as some Linda Ronstadt hits. I think we're out of time, but I think we need to go out with Lady Godiva. And while Mr. Edward McMillan cues up Lady Godiva, we remind you this program was produced by him, as they all are. Our thanks go to Will Durst, Paul Dorn, and Dr. Whitney Lehman. Anyway, before we go, we'd like to remind you one final time to consider going to newsreview.com slash sacramento slash ballot and uh, do what you can to promote the type of radio that you like. And yeah, I got to confess, that really is me in that ad, the News and Review. After seven years, I finally decided to drop the veil and reveal why it is I have such a great face for radio. <laughs> I got to remind you, once again, if Rob, Arnie, and Don in the morning win the best of the News and Review, we may have to pull up our uh, tent pegs and move to Latvia. All right, next week's program, we're going to talk to Pope Brock about his fantastic book on John R. Brinkley titled Charlatan. And either next week or the week after, we're going to bring you sound effects expert Ben Burt. We'll see you then. Seventeen, a beauty queen. She made a ride that caused a scene in the town. Her long blonde hair hanging down around her knees. All the cats who did striptease. Praying for a little breeze Her long blonde hair Falling down across her arms Hiding all the latest charms Lady Godiva She found fame and made her name A Hollywood director came into town said to her how'd you like to be a star you're a girl who could go far especially dressed the way you are she smiled at him